Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who holds the record for most wins in NHL history with 1,244 wins in the regular season, 223 in the Stanley Cup playoffs. As head coach, he has won a record nine Stanley Cup championships, five with the Canadians and one with the Penguins, three with the Red Wings. He ranks second all-time behind John Bellevue's 17 for most Stanley Cup victories by a player, coach, or executive with 14. He's coached the St. Louis Blues, Montreal Canadiens, Buffalo Sabres, Pittsburgh Penguins, Detroit Red Wings. He currently serves as a senior advisor of hockey operations for the Chicago Blackhawks, where his son Stan is a team's general manager. He is without a doubt one of the greatest coaches in history in any sport. It is an absolute honor to welcome Hockey Hall of Famer and legend Scotty Bowman to WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Coach. Nice to be on. It's absolutely our honor. You know, your original design was not to coach, but it was to play professional hockey. Early in your career, you are uh, regarded as a fine-checking left wing. You're on the road to becoming an NHL player. You're part of the Canadians' um, minor league system beginning in 1947. By 50-51, you're playing occasionally with the Montreal Junior Canadiens. Next season, you join that team on a regular basis. But on March 6, 1952, during a playoff game, something happened that would change your career career path, as well as the history of hockey as we know it. You're struck on the head by a stick of a future New York Rangers head coach, John Gee Talbert. How did that night change you? Well, you know, I was a young prospect. Uh, There was only six teams in the league, of course, back in those days. So whether I would have been an NHL player or not, it's hard to to forecast at that time because, uh, you know, most of the kids that played in the junior league, you know, had a reasonably good chance to move up, but uh, I I got injured, and uh, it started me on a a career for coaching at a very young age because most of the coaches in in that era were ex-players who came into the coaching after they retired. So, you know, I got kind of a head start, and um, I I was obviously very disappointed I couldn't play anymore, but it uh, it was probably a blessing in the long run, uh, as it turned out. You get involved with coaching minor hockey in your hometown. You sold paints by day for Sherwin-Williams, coached in your spare time. During lunch hours, the story goes that you dropped into the farm to watch the Canadians practice. You get your first-time full coaching job as you served as the assistant manager and assistant coach working with Sam Pollock for the Junior Canadians, who went to the Memorial Cup Finals in consecutive seasons, winning the trophy in 57 and 58 against the Regina Pats. What did you learn from working with Sam? Well, he was a wonderful uh, mentor at the time. He was running the farm system uh, for the Canadians. And later, I think it was around 1964, uh, he, after about a 15-year career with the Canadians, he, he was named general manager. And uh, he actually, I think he was the general manager for some, something like maybe 13 or 14 years. And under his managership, they won... Uh, nine Stanley Cups, so, I mean, he, he then got into business, but it, he, he let me do uh, what he was doing, uh, you know, 
whatever whatever it took to be coaching or managing, I was able to do it. He was a busy man uh, running the farm system. So, you know, he let me coach a lot of games at a young age, and then I got an opportunity when I was 25 to be a head coach with the Peterborough Peets in the very strong Ontario Junior League at the time. So I got my break uh, with expansion. Uh, I went to St. Louis Blues uh, when I was 33 because they the league went from 6 to 12. So uh, I, I did go to St. Louis for four seasons, and then I returned to Montreal, which was my hometown, and uh, at a good era because most of the good young uh, drafted players uh, at that time, uh, you know, Guy Lafleur, Steve Shutt, Bob Ganey, um, you know, Ken Dryden was in place, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe, Larry Robinson. So it was the beginning of a, a great dynasty for Montreal uh, with the players that they had acquired uh, from a lot, a lot of other teams' <laughs> picks. But that, that's how astute Sam Pollock was. Yeah, you mentioned your, your move and the chance you got to, to – be uh, a very vital part of the Chicago Blues expansion team. Uh, you take a look at it that that might be the expansion draft most similar to just what happened here with Vegas where there was some pretty good talent available at that point because if I remember correctly the existing teams were only allowed to keep 11 players plus two goalkeepers uh, which allowed the expansion teams to get some of the NHL talent. A lot of players though came from the minor leagues. What was that process of putting together a team from scratch you know, for the very first time as a general manager? I have to imagine that it had a lot of challenges. What do you remember most about that? Well, we got 20 players because, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't like I, I think the expansion with Vegas will probably, I think it will prove to be one of the better uh, expansion drafts uh, of all time because they, with 30 teams in the league right now, they were able to get 30 assets. I mean, all of them weren't going to be able to play on their team, but, you know, they've been able to get uh, some draft picks, so they've built the future. The, the problem in the first expansion uh, we got a good goal. Each team uh, was able to get a, the number two goalie off the other teams, and it was it was a tough tough to be a goaltender in pro hockey because only six jobs. They didn't carry a backup goalie, so we did get a good goalie, a goalie that was uh, going to be a. I mean, we got Glenn Hall, Cesar Maniego went to Minnesota, Bernie Perrant went to uh, Philadelphia. So you know there were some good goalies in there, but. Uh, we, the, the minor leagues had some very good players, and we were able to get them and develop them. The one part of the draft that was tough for the expansion teams is the uh, entry draft. It, it wasn't until 1969, after the second full season. Uh, actually, it was 67, 68, 68, 69. So we had to play two seasons without any amateur draft choices that were uh, coming our way and and that was a tough it was tough the first year was not not as tough as the second and third because we didn't have any anybody coming in from the amateur ranks we had to go and scrape for for some teams did it differently um los angeles kings went out and they bought a minor league team uh, the springfield indians out of the american hockey league i think the philadelphia flyers got hooked up with the Quebec Aces, so they they had a bit of a leg up, but uh, it, it wasn't uh, uh, as easy as it would be nowadays where it's not, never easy when you, when you can't get a lot of great young players, but I think with the Vegas expansion, time will prove that because they were able to turn some of their 
players that they they couldn't use 30 players, uh, and they they traded quite a few or maybe four or five of them to get draft picks. So that's going to make their future very solid. You know, you talked about the expansion for our listeners who are too young to remember, and that's most of our listeners, hopefully. <laughs> what happened there was basically the league created an entirely new division, went from six to 12 teams through the whole expansion, and that basically was the Western Division because the six classic teams were original, Eastern, six, right? original six Eastern teams. And then you played the regular season without, I guess, the same type of you know, cross-division play they have now, and you get to the Stanley Cup Finals. Was that a fair way to do it, or how difficult was it to overcome that when you went the whole season playing mostly against teams on the same equal footing as you, and then you had to play one of the original six? Well, the president, the late Clarence Campbell, had a lot of vision, and he felt by putting the new six teams uh, in their own division together, the first year we had only two games, home and home, with the Eastern Division, but because of... uh, trying to draw some crowds for some of the teams. They increased it the next year. I think it went to four, two home and two away. So that gave better attractive uh, teams coming in to those new expansion uh, teams. But uh, I I think it was the right thing to do because we were very competitive. Uh, The first year, uh, Philadelphia finished first in the regular standing. They got 73 points. And I think it was uh, Pittsburgh had 66 or 67 points, and they missed the playoffs. So there was four teams between 73 and 67 that made the playoffs. We just snuck in the Blues, uh, St. Louis Blues. We won our last two games of the season to leapfrog into third place. Uh, I think we ended up with 70 points. But it was uh, it was the right thing to do, and uh, we, we had a decent playoff. We didn't win a game, but the games were very uh, competitive. A couple went into overtime. So, um, you know, we were fortunate. We got a terrific goalie in Glen Hall. We tried to draft as many good uh, defensive players that we could, and we had it, we shored up our defense. Uh, you know, we had goaltending and defense, which really, really got us started the first year. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking to the legendary hockey Hall of Famer, Scotty Bowman. You know, you did mention that you moved on from St. Louis to Montreal, and and absolutely no disrespect to those St. Louis Blues that made three Stanley Cups under you. The Canadians were the defending champions. Um, that Montreal Canadiens team had Frank and Peter Mahovlich, Yvonne Cornway, Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard. You lost in the first round of the playoffs in 72, but won the Stanley Cup in 73. Canadians would make the playoffs over the next two seasons, lost in the first and third rounds, but from 76 to 79, you win four consecutive Stanley Cups. Aside from the championships you won, you look at how many of those players that played under you from those Canadian teams have gone on to either significant front office jobs or coaching jobs in the the NHL. And the question comes to mind for me, is it that you guys drafted with players with high hockey IQs to begin with, or did those guys learn so much from you and then took that knowledge to the next level? We were fortunate uh, at the time because, uh, you know, the, the expansion teams were, were, were getting a little impatient, and Sam Pollock had a lot of vision, and he traded some excess players. We had a lot of players in our system with Montreal when I went there, we got the number one pick in the 71 draft, Guy Lafleur, 
who I, I still feel if you went through the decade of the 70s, he would definitely be the, the player of the decade as Wayne Gretzky would have been in the 80s. So we, 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 we got uh, Sam Pollock made some very astute trades, and most of the really strong young players, Guy Lafleur, Steve Shutt, Bob Ganey, were taken on picks from other teams. I think Steve Shutt was the third pick in the 72 draft, uh, Lafleur was the first pick in the '71. Larry Robinson was a later pick and turned out to be a Hall of Fame player. Bob Ganey was the eighth pick, I think, in uh, 1973. So you know, uh, we we got players that uh, maybe you wouldn't be able to get today if you were a strong. We had a nucleus of a strong club because you know, uh, if you looked at Montreal's record, they won the five cups in the '50 and from '56 to '60. And then Chicago won in 61, Toronto won three in a row, 62, 63, 64. And then Sam Pollock as general manager in the 64, 65 season, he won the cup with the Canadians in 65, 66, lost to Toronto in 67, but came back and won in 68 and 69. So, you know, there's four and five years. Uh, and some of those players uh, that they got that they had on those teams, like uh, Jacques Lemaire and Serge Savard and Guy Lapointe, throw them in with the with the great draft picks. The timing was perfect, and uh, we had a decade. Well, most of the 70s, we we I think we ended up one year. I'm I'm pretty sure it was 1970, 77, 76, 77 it was the eight eight losses in a year and 12 ties. And I think it was nine, nine or ten Hall of Fame players on that team. So it'll be very hard to duplicate that going forward, especially with the salary cap era. You know, absolutely. And that '79, you know, team crushed my hopes. A Ranger fan, I remember sitting when we were up one nothing, and then we went ahead in game two, and then all of a sudden that was it. We never smelt <laughs> another, you know, not even competitive in the remaining games. Uh, you know, obviously we could spend probably three years of our shows going over your career. Um, you move on for the 1979-80 season coming off the Stanley Cup victory. You leave Montreal, you join the Sabres as a coach, general manager, director of uh, player personnel. After that, you work as a color commentator on Hockey Night in Canada. 89-90, you return to the NHL, joining the Penguins as director during your tenure there. You win two cups, one as coach. Penguins had their first 100-point season in franchise history, finished with the league's best record. 92-93 Penguins set the NHL record for consecutive wins in a regular season with 17. You move on in 93-94 to become coach of the Red Wings. You lead them to a first-place finish in the Western Conference. You lead the Red Wings to their first appearance in the finals in 29 years. 97, you lead the team to its first Stanley Cup in 42 years by sweeping the Flyers for nothing. You know, when you look back on your career, of all the Cups you've won, whether it be as an executor, as executive or as a coach, is there one that means more to you, and there is a franchise that you won it with mean more to you as well? Well, when you're coaching, and especially when you start your career, I had been a coach about six or seven years. But uh, the first cup with Montreal in 1973 was was really a, a, a big, a great, a great uh, thrill uh, because I, I I came, I grew up in Montreal. Uh, Stanley Cups were synonymous with the Canadians. And then uh, my last cup in 02 with the Red Wings meant an awful lot because I had made my uh, mind up before uh, that playoff that I was going to retire as a coach. So 
it made it pretty easy to leave coaching uh, with a with a win uh, with a cup win in my ninth. It was my ninth cup win as a coach. But I think the first one and the last one uh, were very meaningful because of the fact that I mentioned uh, when you're a coach and you win a Stanley Cup, it's the ultimate. And then when you go out and you win a cup in your last season, it makes a pretty good retirement. So you're not anxious to get back in and try again. You know, it's interesting you said that because I actually, you know, my co-host AJ is, he's not the biggest of hockey guys, okay? Right. And, you know, each week we kind of, you know, I, I wear a different it's, jersey it's each week. It's our running joke. It is our running joke. He's not a big <laughs> hockey guy. But today, in your honor, I'm wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey for your first, and he's wearing a Detroit Red Wings for your I wouldn't say particularly happy, but I'm wearing he, He's <laughs> But, you know, for me... The, the Red Wing jersey has significance with you for, to me, it might be, looking back, other than for me, the Rangers winning the, the Cup in 94, one of the greatest moments in hockey history that I've ever witnessed is during the 2002 presentation of the Cup on Ice, you go in, you put on an old pair of skates so you could take a lap with the Cup. You then publicly announced your retirement from coaching. Why was it so important for you to take that lap with the skates on around the rink? Well, you know, like we said earlier, we started the show. My dream was to be an NHL player. That was curtailed pretty pretty early in my in my life uh, with the injuries. So, just the fact that I could put the skates on for the last time, take a twirl around the cup didn't seem very heavy, even though it's about thirty four pounds. I was kind of worried about tripping over a lot of the confetti that was on, on the ice after the celebration. But no, I I am. Um, I just thought it was a, a, a sort of a, a whim that I had that if I could ever just carry the puck, cup around uh, the ice, uh, just a couple of spins, I would I would feel that I was completing my coaching career. So that that was a big exciting team as well. I think I'm not sure of the Hall of Fame players, but it's around the same as Montreal. It was in in the nine or ten category. So you know when you have players like that. Uh, and you look back on their career, you wonder, you, there's no wonder why so many of them stayed in the game because they were such great players, you know? I'm going to ask a weird question, a non-hockey fan question. Look at this. You won cups in Montreal, in Pittsburgh, in Detroit. You're from Quebec. What was it about Buffalo and the experience there that that's where you've settled right now where you live? Yeah, I, I liked Buffalo. I still live here. Um we were on the rebuild when I got to Buffalo in 79. They had not, the, the um, World Hockey Association was still in, in, the, in operation and just had, just quit in 79. And uh, it was tough, it was tough sledding. Uh, we were in a really tough division. Montreal still had the remnants of their four cups in a row. Boston had a really good team. That was the era of Bork and Neely and uh, Rick Middleton. They had really good players in Quebec. Quebec was the forerunner of, uh, of a really good organization. Uh, you know, they, 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 they had the Stastny's. They were great players, uh, Michel Goulet. So we were in pretty tight, but we still got around 100 points every year, and we, we, we did draft well when you think about it. Our, our staff did a good job. I mean, one year we drafted uh, Phil Housley in 1982. He's a Hall of Famer. We came back the next year with Dave Andrichuk. So we had a lot of good picks. We just didn't have enough, um, uh, like say, a mixture. Maybe if I would have been able to stay a couple more years, 
we could have acquired some some good veterans because there were some really good young players on that team. Tom Barrasso, uh, uh, John Tucker, Adam Creighton. We we had a good nucleus of young players, but we didn't have the mixture which you need. It's pretty hard to win cups unless you you could even look at Pittsburgh this year and last year and you you know you know Crosby you know Malkin you know all the good young players but you have to give a lot of credit to the veterans you know uh, fellas that meant a lot to that team you know uh, like they've lost a few of them now but uh, you know uh, uh, when you think about the players uh, Kunitz and these kind of guys that came in Hainsey they picked up this year you know Matt Cullen those players meant a lot to that team, and uh, Pittsburgh's done a great job filling in the holes. When you have a, a high-salaried bunch of players, you got to put those other young guys, and that's what Chicago's having to do now, trying to get yourself uh, hands-on veteran players that can come in and do the job with the, with the you know with the superstars. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the mix and 1967, your first. Finals as a coach, 2002, your last finals as a coach, 35 years in between. If you look even deeper, the 1967 Blues featured a roster of 100% Canadian born players, while the 2002 Red Wings had 15 Canadian players, five Russians, four Czechs, three Swedes, one U.S., and one German player. Yet, with all the changes that went on over that 35 years, one thing was fairly consistent. No matter where you went, you consistently won. So how is it that you were able to adapt and, and still be able to coach you know, one group that was completely 100% Canadian as opposed to that Detroit team, which was a mixture of you know, Canadian, European, U.S. players? Well, I had a passion for hockey, wanting to be a player, uh, getting disappointed when I couldn't do it. I never felt it was a job. I just love to watch hockey, even in my retirement now, semi-retirement. I'm actually uh, left a, a game. I'm in Buffalo at the USA Development Camp uh, that we just finished a week. About two weeks ago, we had the players that were born in 2000. This week, there are 2001 uh, group of players, and next week, 2002. I only live 10 minutes from where, the, where, the, uh, where they play for about a week. And there's so many. I, I'm astonished how good... U.S.-born players are. These are boys that are going to be 16 years old this year. There's hardly one that you could say is not a, 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 a prolific skater. Um, the, I, see them, I see them from one year to the next. Just one year difference how, how they improve. And these are players that are on the cusp of going to uh, get scholarships to go to U.S. colleges. Some will go to play in the Canadian Junior League. But the... Uh, the uh, U.S. development program is so much on target. It's no wonder that, uh, you know, I think this year there was like 50 U.S. players, uh, uh, U.S. born or bred players taken out of the whatever it is, uh, seven times 30, about 200, 217. So, you know, that's a good percentage. And uh, the, the future looks great for USA hockey. We don't have to go any, go any further than Austin Matthews. There will be more <laughs> players coming. There's a boy here today. I'm watching from, I couldn't believe it, I live in Sarasota, Florida, and there's a boy that the next door next door to me is Osprey, Florida, and I see this boy at 15 years of age. He's going to go to a prep school uh, next year up in the, in the northeast. He's that, he's that pro- prolific, coming from the state of Florida. It's hard to believe. 
It's so funny you mention that because I, I, I just got a flashback speaking to you, and I don't know what year it was, but you were telling me about Seth Jones sim- at the same type of camp when you had seen him and you were talking about him being a future NHLer and how much talent he had back then. Oh, <laughs> wow. I mean, there's so many. Right. There, there's so many. Uh, there's so many good young players from all over. Yeah. Dallas, San Diego, uh, you name it, they're coming in. You know, since your retirement in 2002 as a coach, you worked as a special consultant to the Red Wings. But in July of 2008, you take a position as a senior advisor of hockey operations for the Chicago Blackhawks to work alongside your son, Stan, who's the general manager. Who, by the way, I, I, I got to call you out on this. I mean, not that you put too much pressure on the kid, just, but, but could you tell our audience why you named him Stan? I was just thinking that. Well, 1973, he was born in June 28th. We won the Cup late May, I'm sure, that year. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was my first Stanley Cup. And, I, and, and, and actually, we said, if, if it's a boy coming on, we didn't know it was a boy or girl. I said to my wife, if it's a boy, we're going to have to name him Stanley Cup. And we didn't name him Stanley Cup, but we named him Stanley Glenn. The second one's after the great goalie, Glenn Hall. So uh, he's, uh, he's carried that name pretty well for himself, really. <laughs> so of all the things you've accomplished in the game, was being part of a Stanley Cup championship that both you and your son you know, helped to build and mold that team, where, where does that rank in everything you've accomplished? Oh, right near the top. Uh, you know, you never try to make plans for your family to stay in the same business as you are. I, um, I was pleased that he got a chance. I I didn't. I didn't think it was right to bring him anywhere I was near. And uh, he actually started. He, he finished school up at uh, Notre Dame in South Bend and took a job in Chicago just with a with a consulting company. And he wanted to get in hockey. And he wrote letters to different places. And he got an answer from the Blackhawks uh, back around 1999. And uh, you know, he worked his way up. He was he was helped an awful lot by Dale Talon, who is now the general manager in uh, Florida. Uh, Dale saw something in Stan, gave him his first chance. And it's kind of complete circle because I'm, I'm rambling a bit. But in the early 60s, I took a three-year hiatus from coaching. After I finished with the junior Canadians and Peterborough, I went and was a head scout with Montreal from 1961 to 64 before I went back coaching junior. And one of our scouts in northern uh, Quebec was Dale Talon's father, the late Stan Talon. Wow. So it was odd that I, I didn't know Dale at the time, but then Dale, you know, uh, got a, it was number two pick in 1970 uh, with the uh, Vancouver Canucks, and he's worked his way from the broadcasting into the managing of teams. And uh, Dale gave uh, Stan a wonderful opportunity with the Blackhawks. It's very interesting, too, because if you take a look, if you, they haven't done this yet, but it would be great to put a coaching tree for guys that you've been involved with. But you, know, you go back to your connection with the Patricks. You have that as well with Craig, you know, different hirings as well. So it, it's so strange the way the names just intertwine in different generations. Like the parcels uh, of hockey. Right, absolutely, yeah, exactly. no question about it. Uh, I have to ask this because one of our viewers, you know, he watches on Facebook Live and Sportscaster Live or streams it over the Internet. He's 
a big Chicago Blackhawks fan. Rich Weiss, I know he goes, he's got season tickets. Of all the moves the Blackhawks did, you know, this July, which also included bringing back Patrick Sharp, you know, bringing back Brandon Saad, you know, Anton Forsberg, 2018. Uh, fifth round draft pick for Columbus for Panarin, um, 2017 sixth round draft pick. Which of the moves so far that the Blackhawks have done do you think will have the biggest impact? I think the Brandon Sod returning to the Hawks. They never really wanted to lose Brandon. Uh, you know, he had a terrific entry level. Uh, they just it, it, the timing was not such that they could afford to give him a, an extended contract, and he, he was able to get that from Columbus. They've got some cost certainty with him. Uh, I think you're going to see a good resurgence with Brandon coming in uh, uh, and playing with Jonathan Taves, probably. Uh, this will be a good combination. You know, uh, Patrick Kane uh, works with Anisimov, and he, had, he lost a good player in Panarin. But, you know, it is true. You have to give up something to get something. But uh, I think I think Saad is going to fit in like a glove uh, with the Blackhawks. And he's only 25 years of age. And, uh, you know, he's, he was very instrumental in, the third, in, the, in winning the, the, the 15 Cup, you know. So I think you'll find a, a good difference uh, maker in, uh, in Brandon Saad this year. Lastly, without a doubt, you are one of the greatest coaches in all of sports. If you had to list the three most important qualities a great coach must have, what would they be? Uh, you have to be honest with your players. Um, you know, you, 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 you gain respect if you're honest. and you. I, I always like to tell it like it was. I, I didn't like to sugarcoat something that you might want to change later on. Um, I think players like to know where they stand with a coach. Um, they like to be pushed, uh, maybe not when it's, when it's actually happening, but I don't think there's a, a great player that wouldn't say that somebody pushed him to the, to the extent that he, he reached the full uh, you know, blossoming of his, of his uh, capabilities. So uh, I, I think that's what I, I try to do is, is uh, you know, Make them as good as they can be, and 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 sometimes it's 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 not easy decisions. But at the same time, you know, there's a professional part of coaching, and there's a personal part. You have to have both, and you you it's not good to mix them together. Gotcha. Thank you so much for your time, Coach. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. You got it. Scotty Bowman, coach of nine Stanley Cup winning teams, member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, one of the greatest coaches in all of sports.